Happy New Year and welcome to Saga Ohio, a podcast by fans and players of Saga, the skirmish miniatures game from Studio Tomahawk. This is episode 30. It'll be the start of my fourth year of producing this podcast. In a little bit, I'll play the rest of my talk with Saga Ohio player Dan Neal. He's going to run us through his thoughts on the Polish list, definitely one of the underplayed armies from Age of Crusades. But first, I thought I'd share some analytics my podcast host Anchor says about Saga Ohio. I've been trying to figure out if these numbers include people who listen on other platforms, such as Spotify or Apple Podcasts. This is all an arcane world of RSS feeds and owned email addresses, though, so I've been spectacularly unsuccessful in sleuthing my way through it. According to Anchor, Saga Ohio has been played more than 8,000 times, it says that 44% of my listeners are from the U.S., with the ne- next biggest country of listeners being the U.K., with 19%. Who's third? Australia. They bring in 8% of my listeners on Anchor, while Germany is fourth with 6%. They are followed by Norway, New Zealand, Netherlands, Poland, Canada, and Austria. Next, there's a list of 33 countries who each constitute less than 1% of my audience. My first worry was this list might be skewed by bots based out of those countries. However, if you look at the countries in the top, they are all known for having an active Saga community. So I'm inclined to believe it. What does all this mean? Well, it means I'm flattered that so many people around the world have tuned into Saga Ohio to listen to my musings about the game. Thank you to all my listeners, and I appreciate your sticking with me when school or life gets in the way of putting out episodes as frequently as I'd like. I hope that one day I get a chance to meet as many of you as possible and maybe even play a game of Saga together. Speaking of which, here's a quick rundown on the upcoming tournaments in the Midwest area of the United States. I thought about listing international ones too, especially with what the numbers just shared above. However, I knew they'd likely miss some and didn't want to slide anyone by leaving their tournament off. So here are some upcoming tournaments if you wanted to get in some good games against good and friendly competition. First up is Saga in the Fort on February 11th at Power 9 Gaming in Fort Wayne, Indiana. This will be an Age of Malie tournament run by Daniel Broadus. Weather and my school schedule permitting, I'm planning on trying to attend this one. The following weekend, Raj from Saga Thor's Day is hosting Fimble Winter, February 18th to 19th in Weston, Wisconsin. Saga Ohio player Jim Randall is planning on attending and has been encouraging me to go to this two-day, five-round event. As of now, my school model United Nations Club has their summit scheduled for that weekend, so it's unlikely I can make it to the frozen north for that one. Fimble Winter is open to Age of Vikings and Age of Invasions warbands. March brings another local tournament and another big national one. On Saturday, March 4th, Adrian John will be running a Saga tournament at CincyCon in Cincinnati, Ohio. It will be an Age of Malie tournament as well, so expect a nice variety of armies there. I am tentatively planning on playing in that one as well. 
Later in March is Adepticon, which will host a number of Saga tournaments as usual. I don't have an in on what the ages they'll be running there, but it will be its usual great collection of Saga players. Hopefully, some of our Saga Ohio players will make it up for that tournament. Well, that covers the first quarter of 2022, at least the tournaments I'm aware of. If I miss any, please reach out to me on Facebook or by email or Discord. My email address is mike.demana, which is D-E-M-A-N-A dot W-W-M at gmail.com. I'll be happy to include your tournament in the next broadcast. So on to the meat of this show. Here's the rest of Daniel's conversation with me, starting at the point where we begin to discuss his Polish list. I hope you enjoy the episode. We've kind of spent a lot of time talking about your victory, but I kind of wanted to go over the polls a little bit too. Most of us around here, when we think of you, we think of playing your Polish army, because as you point out, that's been the one you've been playing for a long time. What drew you to the polls? I mean, like there was the Baltic Crusaders there all along, but you initially started painting the polls and started playing the polls. One of the you know, least common armies from that book, actually. Yeah, it was a couple factors. You know, one is that I have a Polish ancestry on my mother's side of the family. So I thought that was be kind of cool to respect or honor that in some way with this. Um, but also, you know, the hobby side, I had wanted to do a Western themed force uh, with as many Eastern elements as I wanted because there really was a mixture. Um, but that kind of Western knights or medieval style force I felt like the faction would really let me do that on the hobby side, which just was very interesting to me. Uh, I also really wanted to play something different. Um, I I guess it doesn't really matter. Like, you play the same faction in Saga, but to me, there's something exciting about, you know, you flip through these books and you see all these other factions and you kind of think about what they'd be like to play and have someone local that's like, yeah, I've actually got them. Let's go. You want to see what it's like? Uh, and I don't think you're going to get that with the polls from what I can tell on the Facebook groups, on the Discord, elsewhere. If there's a faction that's less commonly played out of any of the historical books, it, it can't be by much. This yeah. is super, super rare. I was also drawn to some of the odd mechanics, which I think we'll talk about shortly here. Uh, the, the board has a combined arms feel, and it has some very odd abilities on it uh-huh yeah I, i'm with you i like to to go with my interests my love so to speak and i think that's really cool you you tapped into you know your family's ancestry there with the with the polish uh um so so now you've uh, you've painted it up and over the months you've been playing it since january uh what do you like most about the polish army yeah i mean so one thing is it just is surprising i think so when you you play with people i think very commonly a response i'll hear is some variation of well, I've never even seen this before. I don't know what it does, right? Which is just kind of cool, right? So you're, it's going to be an interesting experience. Um, I do like the board's ability, which we'll get into a little later, uh, the ability to act in the opponent's turn and also the fact that it can manipulate fatigue beyond just the standard rest activation. I've actually found that when I think about other armies, these are things that are actually really important to me. I like to be able to kind of break the rules with my board, if you think. So the ability to do stuff in the opponent's turn, I really found that I like that. This board can do that. It's actually a signature ability on the board. I also like the ability to manipulate your own fatigue 
in ways that go beyond just why I give a rest activation to this right. unit. I think it opens up a whole lot of interesting possibilities. Yeah, I agree. I like when you get that activation reaction in the opponent's turn, uh, the chance to, to do something other than just sit there and take it. Uh, my first army I played was the Welsh, and I think they have like three different activation reactions on their uh, on their battle board. So it is it is a lot of fun. Um, so uh, typically, what's your breakdown with your Polish army, um, and what kind of adjustments do you make when you're facing different types of, uh, of foes? Yeah, so this board, I mean, one of its it's kind of cool. Like I said, that you have combined arms, but it's also you know a real weakness of the board is that. There's very little overlap. You can't just keep it simple and take one type of unit, or at least I haven't found a way to where you got some redundancy. You know, you lose this one, another unit. So I'm typically taking a mix. Um, it, it rewards foot and mounted units. Uh, so the Warlord's easy. Warlord has to be mounted. Uh, Hearthguard are easy in that they have to be mounted. I normally take a point and a half. Sometimes I will go down to one point. Um, I used to take two points and four packs and just found I wasn't getting what I wanted with that. I'll then You can then take warriors. Now, you can't take the spear and shield warrior with poles. You can only take heavy weapons warriors or mounted warriors. I usually take one point of each, but depending on the, the terrain and the opponent, I could go to a, a half point more of the heavy warriors and, and mainly use the mounted guys for, for other purposes. Uh, and then I typically take uh, levies, so I'm usually going to have uh, 1.5 or a point and a half. I use the half point rule here. Point and a half of the bow levy and two units of nine, so mm -hmm. each one has a base die of five, and then one spear levy. So one of the cool things about the poles, one of the very few factions that can take the four four, the dreaded spear levy, like right. the Byzantines actually, mm -hmm. which I feel is a um, used properly is one of the, <laughs> the more annoying units in, in Saga. Like, you just hate to fight them, and it just never feels good. They're hard to shoot. They're hard to melee. It's like walking into mud. Right. So the fact they can take them, and actually some one, one in particular really cool ability for them, uh, I, I feel like they have a, a pretty much a permanent place in my roster. All right. Do you tweak things up or down any when facing like a mostly shooty army or a mostly melee army um, or no? Yeah, I don't change it too much. Now, I would say if I was going against someone like the Pagan Roos, I definitely would. Uh, a Pagan Roos can make it so you can't charge or shoot more than him. Well, that's basically game-breaking for the Polish, but if I have to do that game, I would probably try to just turn it all into a – like a bunch of foot levy and heavy weapons warriors probably rolling around at that point which w wouldn't be totally terrible i mean actually right. pretty good but your big shooting power your reach with the charges and counter charges like that all goes away against that type of faction against a very strong shooting army i might again i might take more of the heavy weapons warriors but i i usually just don't change it that much okay. is the truth I, I find that this list works pretty well for me all right okay that makes sense um, so let's talk about uh, your approach to a typical game of Saga using your poles. Do you have a plan for the terrain you're going to play since you don't change uh, the, the breakdown that much? Yeah, so uh, it's kind of tough with the poles. Uh, the, shall we say, charmingly unique board abilities and the odd combination of troop types. It doesn't really make for an obvious terrain choice, at least to me. 
Um, you got all these mounted guys, including your warlords. And you think, well, I, I, I want it to be smooth. I want to put the big smooth hill out. I want, it, I want to have no terrain. But then I've got all these foot guys, including my archers, that I really like to protect. So maybe I do want terrain. Um, so, you know, you can, it, on the one hand, it can be very tough to figure out. On the other hand, sometimes it's like I can kind of work with a lot of different options. I can find a way to do it uh, because of the mix of troop types. Generally speaking, if I have my perfect case, I'm able to get some open ground in the middle of the field uh, to support charges. And really perfectly, I can get a woods on one side and either a ruins or rocky ground on the other side to support a battle line type of deployment where I've got my uh, spear levy in the middle of my line. Mm -hmm. I've got my two archers parked in the, the terrain. And I've got uh, charge avenues set up for my heavy weapons guys and more importantly, my cav, which I'll talk about more in a little bit why you need to have these charge lanes if you're going to play the Polish. Um, that, that's, that's happy state. You know, sometimes you don't get that. And that's, again, one of the things that might affect my deployment. If I feel like I'm really only going to be able to get one, there's like one great spot for bow, I might just go with one point of bow and, and pick up some more heavy weapons guys or what have you. All right. So let's say you've, you've deployed your troops, kind of like you said. Um, you've got, a, you've got the, uh, the spear levy kind of in the center, the, being supported by the heavy weapons warriors and then the archers out on the flanks and the, in the woods and everything. And your, your, uh, your mounted hearth guarder, your mounted troops are there in the back, ready, to, ready with their charge lanes and everything. What are you doing? What, what's, what's the plan? Uh, with your with your poles. Yeah, so ideally your main force is your infantry, and it's going to be kind of in a semicircle, if you will. It doesn't have to be a complete circle, but around your mounted warlord. The reason for that is there's an ability called Voivode that makes you really want to have all your foot units within M of your warlord. Now, I know with We Obey, you really want S, but for this ability, it's M. So it, it kind of dictates how you play, to a degree that you really want to have all those foot units kind of arranged around your mounted warlord. Uh, they're also your shooting defense, which I may as well point out at this point. This is one of the very few boards in Saga that has literally no shooting defense other than <laughs> combat bonus. So facing someone who can shoot, get creative, because there's nothing on here. There's no, there's no shooting reaction. There's no armor boost. You're on your own. Um, especially your mounted guys like your warlords. You have to protect them and be respectful of that. My hope is to gradually advance towards my opponent while hopefully keeping at least one of my bow levy and some kind of cover and pressure them with shooting. This is a board that does have the ability to put out a pretty respectable amount of shooting under the right situation from mm -hmm. your bow guys and bring them to bear. Ideally, I'm giving them a tough or impossible choice of attacking into my levy with spears, which again will explain more why that's not great if you're fighting the poles. Or going into terrain to chase my archers. Uh, either way, looking for the opportunity to use either a charge on my turn or a charge on their turn. Because you can you could do both, but you're probably only going to do one each game round. Um, I will note, if it sounds complicated, and you're considering this board, it is a very, in my opinion, very technical board. You need to understand a lot of Saga rules to get the most out of it. You need to understand figure removal. You need to understand the impact of figure replacement, how fatigue works, how activation reactions work, and even how you can potentially shut down and when to do it, shut down the opponent's ability to use any advanced Saga abilities. 
Um, and in, in relation to that, in some cases, your own troops, if you misplay them, they become extraordinarily vulnerable to shooting, to counter melee. You really got to get it just right. Um, at that highest level, though, many turns are advanced in a shooting turn. Other turns may be a charge turn. And then I'm really thinking about what kind of charge I'm going to do in that turn. Okay. All right. So let's say you're, you've got it set up. You're going to do some uh, charging. What's what is uh, what are the battle the saga abilities on your battle board you use regularly? Obviously, Voivode late in the game as you're getting a lot of fatigue or whenever you're starting to get fatigued up. You mentioned that already, that activation ability that everybody within medium of your warlord removes the fatigue. What what else do you use a lot on this board? Well, Voivode, I mean, I'll spend a little, I want to expand on that a little more. Voivode is rare. It's an activation ability, so you play it at your own turn. Every foot unit within M of your warlord removes a fatigue or is activated. Each unit can choose a different option. This is what powers all the levy and potentially the, the foot uh, heavy weapons guys because you can literally activate as many units as you have within M every single turn as long as they're on foot and within M, but you don't have to activate them. So even in the early game, I feel like if I don't get a rare almost every turn, I'm in trouble because this ability is what drives the board, in my opinion. Uh, it lets you do things like push forward, shoot, shoot again, pull fatigue with this ability because it's not a rest, and then possibly shoot again. Uh, it possibly lets you shoot twice with both of your bow units if they're in range and pull fatigue. Uh, there's things like the Anglo-Danes that can put fatigue on you after you complete your activation. I can sweep all of that with this ability. Uh, so it is extraordinarily powerful. By the way, this is the reason Yom's Vikings, one of the reasons Yom's Vikings are terrible, because they can cancel this. Oh, okay. <laughs> so it's horrible. Uh, anyways, I, I digress. So Voivode, almost every turn, if I can, I'm playing it to do something. And really what it's doing is driving the ability to use this vast infantry army uh, in a warband that you might associate more with the cavalry that it has. I'm also using specialists. This specialist is one where I would say probably more than any ability on this board. If I'm not finding a way to productively use it, and there are several ways, if I'm not using it productively every single game round, other than maybe one, I'm probably going to tie or lose the game. Hmm, specialist okay. gives you four dice in melee or shooting as long as your unit is equipped with bows or heavy weapons. That means my nine pack of bow guys can put out nine dice in a shooting attack. It also means a four-pack of heavy weapons warriors can roll eight dice just with this one ability. Specialist. They can actually, it actually gets more extreme, which I'll get into in a minute. Um, so you need this. It's also a deterrent. So if I'm doing that turn one move up, I might not even use it to shoot depending on the target selection and where everyone is. Because if I'm most worried they're going to charge my bow levy, this is melee or shooting. Believe it or not, you can use this with your bow levy in melee. So they come in, they're only expecting to have four dice thrown back at them. No, nope, now there's eight dice coming back at you. That catches a lot of people off guard. And it really only takes one time before they, they think twice about doing that. So it's also a potential deterrent ability. But you really want to use it actively if you can. Uh, last thing on that one is there's another ability here that I use all the time called No Quarter. This is another activation. It can also be canceled by the Alms Vikings. Two dice. 
Activate a unit to charge. The unit gets two bonus attack dice during the melee, or four if they're more than M. Now, ideally, you want to use this. This is when I said earlier, you're either shooting or charging in your turn as the poles. And charging is kind of a choice. You're really having to choose, right? This is a melee turn. I want to melee them. Am I going to use no quarter in my turn or another ability I'll talk about in a minute, terror of use? Am I going to use that in their turn? Very hard to have the dice to effectively use both of these. If you're using no quarter, it means I'm charging during my turn. This is really good for your mounted units as it gives them four bonus dice as long as the target is more than M away. However, it's easy to underestimate what this can do for your foot guys, especially, again, the bow levy. I have killed large mounted hearthguard units with small battered five-man bow levy units using this ability and specialists. They are bonus dice. So if your bow levy generates two dice, because that's all that's left, five guys, use no quarter to charge, two bonus dice, now you're at four dice. Play specialist, now you're at eight dice. All of a sudden, things just got super scary for whatever you're charging into, because this unit that's charging them is worthless. I mean, it's five levy, and they're throwing eight dice at you. Now, if you can have three dice to start off with, because you got enough figures, now you have a nine dice cap, and you can use another ability that is essential to either No Quarter or Terror of the East, which again, I'll, I'll explain more later. And that is called the Clash. There's one local player I won't name who refuses to play against the Poles because of this ability. <laughs> it requires only a common or an uncommon, either one. And it reads, your opponent cannot trigger any Saga ability during this melee. Gain one attack and one defense dice. Now, the one attack and one defense dice, whatever, it's nice. And you need it because this board, one of its problems is it actually doesn't give you a big dice pool. Um, but what's really critical here is you will often fight people who do generate very large attack and or defense dice pools with their advanced saga abilities, much better than you can. So you have to use the clash. You have to stop them from using, and it's not only advanced saga abilities. People mistake this the first time they see it. So if you're, you got, you're someone that's got a bunch of combat bonus uh, or other basic saga abilities you're planning to use, you're not. You won't be using any of them in this melee. So that also means that if you're charging in with a otherwise weak unit with all these bonus dice, attack dice, you can really put the hurt on units they were counting on defending. Uh, so the clash is something also that kind of breaks all the saga rules. You can stop your opponent from doing anything other than your fatigue in the turn uh, for a very affordable price. I guess that makes sense, yeah. So you can... Uh, they've got these great abilities queued up and everything like that, and they think they're just going to destroy you. Uh, yeah, or great defensive abilities queued up. They never get a chance to use them because you play that first, right? That's your first. Yeah. Thing. Now, it's really actually, now, it's in a sense, it's a gimmick because it really is at its greatest effect when you do it the first time. People are like, what? Let me read that. Now, that's what it says, right? That sort of thing. And like, But they learn right after it's happened them once or twice and kind of plan around it. Um, it is essential, though. The board's signature ability is Terror of the East. For two commons, it's an activation reaction for your mounted units only. Trigger this ability after an enemy activation, but before it is resolved. Activate one of your units for a charge. If your unit is within M, 
it gets two bonus defense, but if it's outside of M, it gets no bonus. Now, Terror of the East, what this means is your mounted units have the ability to charge somebody and interrupt any form of activation. It's more than that, though. If they activate, let's say, one of their units in the far back to maneuver, I can activate this. I don't have to charge that unit. I can charge a different unit than the one that was activated. So you can do some absolutely crazy stuff with this ability, but it's in the opponent's turn. And as I said, you don't really have this stack of great melee abilities on the Polish board, you really don't. So what you need is the clash. Hmm. You need to be able to charge them in their turn after they just rolled all their saga dice and watch their face fall when you're the attacker now and you play the clash as your first action and they realize they can't do anything. It's just going to be a straight vanilla melee plus whatever I have queued up. So the Clash and Terror of the East, Clash goes well with no quarter. Clash is not optional if you're going to use Terror of the East. Need to have them both, and I, I generally won't use one. I won't use Terror of the East without the Clash. Uh, you're just setting yourself up for a bad time because they'll have you know, off the full board typically. Um, this ability also, it can do a lot of crazy things. Warbands that want to run up with mounted javelin hearthguard and shoot you early on and think they're going to get away, if you set your lanes up correctly, they're going to be in for a very rude awakening. Because when they activate their free shooting activation, I'm interrupting it and I'm charging them. I'm putting them into melee. I'm putting another fatigue on them at a minimum. I'm probably killing some of their models. And now the calculation they did about how much fatigue they have that will let them get away is all dead wrong. In fact, I probably, I may be able to cancel them, but I can at least get them to short and then hit them with my bows. So this ability can be very good. It is, like several of the abilities on this board, unfortunately, playing it wrong, being too aggressive with it, it will just cost you points. You will charge someone and say, aha, I got you. Right? You weren't expecting to be meleeed by me. No one expects the Polish Inquisition. Right? Here we are <laughs> on your turn. And I played the Clash, so you couldn't do anything. Well, okay, except that now your unit's probably sitting somewhere out in the middle of the field, fatigued, damaged, with no defenses. Right. So you may have done something to them, but if you don't get a lot of value out of it, disproportionate value, you probably say goodbye. The last thing I'll say on this one, consider putting a war banner in your mounted warriors and using them with this ability. If you time it right, you track their activations and use it when they can't counterpunch you, you will still have a fatigue afterwards, but your war banner will clear it right away on your next turn. Um, I think that can be very good with Terror of the East. Yeah, and the, the mounted warriors, they can still hit pretty hard too. So, yeah. They that's... can. You you could consider, I have, I don't have enough painted, but I've, I intend to. A 12-pack with this ability used properly with the war banner. You're throwing 11 dice, 12 with the clash. You're hitting someone that probably doesn't expect it, somewhere they don't expect it. And when your next turn starts, the banner just pops their fatigue off, and you can hit them with no quarter and the clash. And that's one of the things about this board is you realize I can potentially play something like the clash in my turn or in their turn, possibly back to back, in right. their turn with Terror of the East, in my turn with no quarter. Very, very feasible. The clash, the greatest battle board ability that ever was, right? <laughs> It's a very musical <laughs> battle board, yes. <laughs> um, yeah, so those are some of the abilities that I use the most on the board. They're really essential. Unfortunately, the board has quite a few like very 
uh, dubious abilities. And then a couple that are like situational. What's the, what are some of the dubious ones that you rarely get a chance to use? Yeah, so there's a couple. So one is called Shlachta, mm -hmm. which is, I believe, the Polish term for when they had the old nobility that would kind of rule their lands by riding around the Shlachta. Um, it's two uncommons. So as I already covered, you need unco an uncommon for specialists. That's four dice in melee or shooting. You also need uncommons to activate your bow levy or your foot levy. You also need them for no quarter. You can use them for the clash, though you can also use a common. So in short, uncommons are already at a premium, at least the way I build my warband. This takes two. It's a melee ability. And if your armor is higher than the enemy units, the enemy attack dice suffer a minus one penalty. Now, in my mind, two uncommons for that result is extremely pricey. Yeah, very, very pricey. Now, especially when you think that half the units in your warband are things like it's not a hearthguard warband. So you got bow levy, <laughs> their armor is not higher, and you got heavy weapons warriors. Also, there are, so it's really only your hearthguard that can reliably use this. I will say, though, it has one curiosity. This is a warband that can make it impossible for an exhausted enemy to hit you, even when your armor is only five. Right. I was just going to say that. You play Shlachta. I have done that once, strictly as a novelty, and it is kind of hilarious, but is it more effective than using those two uncommon somewhere else? Almost. Now, I think what's supposed to be done, like having stared at this board enough, I think it's supposed to be paired with Terror of East and your Hearthguard. Because that's two commons, this is two uncommons, and the clash can be either one. So that you can kind of give them a minus one if you charge in a terror. Of e I feel like it never works that way. Right. You just never have enough dice. It would be better off shooting them twice with your bow levy versus that. So that's one. I'll just pick one other that I feel like is really like a cool idea, but just I don't use it. Well, maybe two. So Squires, again, a very interesting ability. This lets you remove a figure from a warrior unit and replace it so it's a casualty you take a casualty from your warrior unit and then put a hearth guard figure back in with tenacity the figure removed a rare lets you do this twice now it sounds cool because i'm getting rid of a, a warrior and i'm getting a hearth guard back unfortunately most games are massacre point games and what i've been told i don't know if i agree but what everyone's ever told me is no nah, no nah, they both count the hearth guard you originally lost Oh. And the, the warrior, they both count towards master. Oh, I gotcha. So if you accept that, now if you're playing a survival points game, this can be good. If you're playing a conquest points game, this could be good because the fact that you're killing a unit twice actually doesn't affect the score in any way. It's just right. how many models are left playing. So it could be good. The other one is line breaker. Again, a cool idea with your mounted units. This is a rare. You're in melee. Enemy units with an S of the unit you're fighting that's not a hero, the first two casualties you inflict must be removed from the chosen unit rather than the unit you're fighting. So again, thematically, it's awesome. Right? My, my heavily armored mounted knights are charging in with no quarter terror these, whatever. I'm battering their vulnerable horse archers or whatever. And within S is his hearthguard. And I'm going to make him lose two hearthguard models on the first two casualties. That's what it's supposed to do, right? right? But how often do you have a rare to spare? And also very often, more fundamentally, the problem is usually in Saga, you're, my experience is you're way better off killing the unit you're fighting than you are sharing the damage between two different units that both come out alive. 
because you've got to worry about the counter punch, right? I want to kill this one, splash some fatigue. That's usually a better, get the bonus point for eliminating the unit. Usually it's better. Now, the one place I have used it to very cool effect, you get that late game situation. They got the one, one figure unit, the two figure unit, they're just kind of hanging out back by their warlord. If you can get in with the one figure unit and play this, you can kill the two figure unit and kill the one figure unit and splash fatigue from both in a single melee. So huh. it, again, it can be cool, but you're talking about super narrow situations right. yeah, very, where line breaker works. Very Otherwise, difficult to line up, yeah. Yeah. So those are some of the you know, Schlockta, Squires, line breaker, probably the ones, definitely Schlockta and, and yeah, all three of those just very, very rarely used. Well, and, and the other thing, you've got three abilities on this board that you require two dice, and that's difficult. And, you know, one, you know, three of those six dice that they're requiring are, are uncommon, so it's going to be difficult. And you got, yeah, I mean, you got four other abilities that have a rare dice shown on them. Right. Some of them don't require it, but Voivode does and Linebreaker does, and Hold the Line is significantly better. With Like, it's very dubious without a rare. With a rare, it can be awesome. Squires, again, like, if you're going to do one, you probably want to do two. So, yes, it is a dice-greedy board, which, again, is just part of why I think some people are turned off of playing it. It's got all these technical aspects of weird troop composition, and then you just look at it, and it, getting the dice necessary feels, it actually is, <laughs> very challenging. Yeah. Oh, I believe you. Um, so what, what abilities or troops give your poles the most trouble, would you say, in your, in your year of playing them? Yeah. So, well, Yom's Vikings. Um, <laughs> so Yom's Vikings for two, uh, just two main reasons. One is they have an ability that can cancel any of your activation abilities. Well, I need Voivode. That's an activation ability and it's a rare. So it's a straight up trade for the Yom's player or I feed him Wrath. Or he's going to cancel no quarter, which is a two-dice ability, and he's happy to trade a rare for that, or I feed him Wrath. And, yeah, so there's just... And then they also have an ability that lets them shoot someone that's not in line of sight with three dice. You know what's the perfect target for that is any warband that has to take mounted Hearthguard. Because, boy, like, that's a point or two every single turn for a common, on average. So, right. yeah, Yom's Vikings, terrible. Um, I would say that uh, not in the same way, but warbands that have strong heavy infantry can, if you don't have the right composition, can be hard. Your counter charge from Terror of East is not as threatening to them because they want you to come fight them. Like, oh, you're coming in on my turn to fight me. Even if you shut down my abilities for this with the Clash, great. At least you're close to me and now I can grapple with you on the comeback, right? So I... And your shooting's not as good because they all have higher armor than shooting generally. Um, sh and really the biggest problem, though, if you are facing a warband like the Byzantines, especially any warband with heavy shooting and with crossbows, you are in for a miserable time because you have no shooting defense. Right, yeah. And your bow levy, your mounted warriors, your hearth guard, and your warlord all desperately don't want to be shot. But even your levy have nothing that gives them protection against shooting. So the shooting army is overall probably the worst. Just because the board literally is empty, there's nothing there that stops them. So that's why the Mongols were so so fearsome against your poles then, eh? <laughs> well, well, that and I, I misplayed them. I mean, I, I think I could have done better against them. But yes, uh, Mongols can be very tough. 
it, you know, you compare and contrast that against the Baltic Crusaders just briefly. I would run those with all mounted hearth guard as I did, or, or foot hearth guard probably actually. Every single turn for a common and uncommon, you are shooting into armor six resilience right. one. Yeah, for an uncommon, basic. for whichever one you come in with your big warrior, I'm also going to reroll my failed saves. Right. Now that is shooting defense. Right. Something the polls. <laughs> and then don't I'm going to move on your turn. So you tried to run away, but actually now I'm within M of one of your units. I'm going to charge you straight. So that is a board. In theory, the shooting defense on this board is actually terror of the east. So if you play someone that doesn't know what they're doing and you have the dice queued up for it. You can't catch them out. Like I said, they have mounted shooters. They don't see this coming. It can really ruin their day. But it, it's telegraphed. They can see that you have it. They can mm -hmm. see where your units are. They can just avoid it usually. Um, and it, at best, it usually works once before they get it. Okay. I'll make sure you can't do that to me anymore. Right, yeah. One of those old, you did that to me once, never again. You know. And in uh, fairness, a lot of saga boards are like that, right? Where... They've got one or two really cool things. They're unusual. You can catch somebody out. But this board in particular is like this. I didn't even talk about hold the line, but there, there's a couple things on here that are like almost gimmick abilities. <laughs> like you do it once, they won't see it, but doing it twice is a lot harder. Right. So, um, all right. I know we're kind of running a little long at yeah. this point, but uh, what, anything else about the polls you'd want to add in that uh, we haven't I haven't covered yet with my questions? Uh, well, just briefly, people ask about mercs usually. Again, I don't normally use mercs. Um, I'll just mention two that I think are potentially cool here very briefly. Western knights on foot are considered warriors. You can use uh, hold the line on them, which reduces their melee aggression to zero, but can potentially give them resilience three. For a unit that has armor five, can close ranks. If it does, rerolls it saves and now has resilience three. This is about the most unkillable thing in Saga. Now, does that make you good? Well, I don't use them, so what does that tell you? Right? But it is certainly an amusing fact that you can do that to them. You can also pull their fatigue with Voivode because this goes for any any foot mark. Voivode removes a fatigue. It doesn't rest them, so it can pull from foot mercs within M. You can pull their fatigue. So that is very cool. Uh, the other one that I think has a lot of potential with this board is Fanatical Pilgrims. I have not tried them. But the fact that when they dot, you kind of want them to run forward and get attacked. You can, again, use hold the line and control how many die to a degree with fatigue. And you're rolling dice and putting them back on your board, potentially in the opponent's turn. That has a lot of potential with this board. You can use things like the Clash potentially twice. Pretty cool. Uh, not, not twice in one turn, obviously. Yeah. Possibly twice in a round. Um, so, yeah, I, mean, I think Western Knights on Foot and Fanatical Pilgrims are two of the more interesting ones uh, you could potentially take, but I, I don't normally. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I rarely play Mercs. Uh, I've been letting people take them in the last couple tournaments I've run, the last few tournaments. Uh, but um, I don't know. I, I'll kind of go with what people do. I don't want to have this weird tournament that is different than all the others. If people in general are cross-saga or allowing Mercs, I'll continue to, to do that. But if people are not, then, you know, I could go, go back to, I think what I did on the first one. Um, I still probably not going to allow legendary units in, in my tournaments. I just, there's, it's just too much of a, there's not a balance aspect to it. And also it's a lot of that, 
you've never seen this before, so I've got the advantage. I've seen it. I've been playing for all these years. And another thing to help out the uh, the really experienced players against the newer players, and I don't know if they really need that that buff. <laughs> so yeah, no, I, I think that's true. It's it's fine for fun. Some people like it, but you know, again, it's very imbalanced. You know, the Baltic Crusaders terrible legendary warlords right exactly but the levantine crusaders have arguably the best legendary warlord in the game peter the hermit so right. you know it's not necessarily a recipe for fun i guess or it's not to me yeah i agree so well um i know we were, i was kind of planning on talking a little about age of alexander but uh, maybe we can save that for another time i was thinking about getting for one of the upcoming uh saga ohio's maybe get some uh, several of us together and kind of go through pick an army and go through and talk about a few of the different boards so would you be interested in doing that with me when i uh you know when i do it yeah certainly i am uh, actively building my victrix persians oh okay I'm excited about i've played one game with them with proxies and so yeah i'd be happy to be part of that kind of discussion. well great so maybe we'll uh we'll sit down and uh when we do that we'll i'll, I'll recruit you to talk about persians and we can uh we can sit down and analyze a new book it seems to be really popular and um, you know, people are buying armies. We've already had, you know, people showing up with armies and it was a long time before Hannibal armies showed up, but these Alexander ones are popping up a lot quicker. Yeah. That's my impression too. Uh, Hannibal, same kind of period, but I guess for whatever reason, people are just really excited about this book. It, it does have some pretty cool stuff. in it. Right. Definitely. Well, thank you very much for coming out, Dan, and, uh, talking to me tonight on a weeknight and everything. And, uh, um, congratulations again on your, your victory and happy birthday. Uh, hope, hopefully, uh, it made your birthday better by, uh, scoring, uh, scoring your tournament victory there. It was pretty cool. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Just a perfect timing of it all. So, and Bob's That's won right. tournaments before. He didn't need to win another one. It was your turn. <laughs> That's his trophy wall is full to overflowing. Yes. <laughs> He's good yes exactly so a new player one so all right well hey good talking to you and uh hopefully we will uh we'll see each other soon on a saga sunday here one of these days or another saga day and uh get a chance to play uh play again absolutely i'm looking forward to it all right hey we'll see you yep take care mike <laughs>